We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into this week's RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Today, we are getting into some more backfields, some really complex ones. We're going to be delving into Miami, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. All those tricky ones to figure out for fantasy purposes, but important to figure out for fantasy purposes. So we're going to get into all that and a little bit of Saquon Barkley talk because, uh, folks, the Saquon Helium is starting to get real. So we're going to dive into that as well. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by our friends over at Reality Sports Online. John McCagney here hanging out with Mario Puig here on this Wednesday. Mario, let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's cut right to the chase here. So there, there's a handful of backfields we, we've been getting into over the over the course of the last few weeks, Arizona and Seattle a couple weeks back and then uh, New England and Buffalo. And the, the kind of recurring theme that, that I think we're trying to, to follow along here is these backfields that don't have those clear cut number one guys. And, you know, what, does that present a buying opportunity in some of these cases? Are these some backfields that you might just be better off fading in general, are there going to be some bargains there later in drafts to, 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 you know, fire a dart on one way or the other? So we're going to keep going with, with that theme. And I, I think maybe no better example of that is the Miami Dolphins because they, it's just a crowded room of meh. Just really not a lot of, of particularly um, exciting players that they've brought in a lot of veteran free agents, whether it's Chase Edmonds. Uh, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle, and in addition to, you know, already having Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed, you know, the dynamic duo out of the University of Washington, of course. Um, so when it when it gets down to it, I want to actually start things off with your thoughts on the potential scheme change here, because obviously things are going to look a little bit different in Miami after the coaching change. We bring in the, the offensive coordinator from the San Francisco 49ers, famously able to generate tons of rushing production from, you know, not the most high pedigree type of running backs over the, over these last few years, while, while the, uh, while the Niners have been, you know, kind of reestablishing themselves, they've been really good on, on the run. So does that, how much does that translate to this group here in Miami? Do you think that he implements that similar type of philosophy? Obviously Kyle Shanahan had a ton to do with, with the success 
there in San Francisco. So we'll, we'll have to kind of see how much of it uh, this new guy can, can carry over with him. Um, so your, your thoughts there on, on how Miami's going to approach it as far as the run game? Well, they're only working with so much, right? There's there's Edmonds, who's locked in to some kind of role. And then there's Mostert, uh, Sony Michelle, two different kinds of players. You can imagine them having separate functions. You know, Mostert basically being a, just a few carries a game, off-tackle kind of guy. And Michelle, I guess by default, being sort of like the power element because Edmonds isn't that either. I don't know what it is that we should expect of any of them in particular, especially the especially Michelle Mostert, uh, whoever else might be hanging around, because Edmonds should get pretty much all the passing down work. And uh, unless the team gets a lot better in a lot of ways in a short amount of time, Dolphins should be playing from behind quite a bit, or at least more than we'd expect them to be winning or, uh, you know, in, a, in an otherwise comfortable game script. So it's kind of difficult for me to imagine the situations where Michelle would get regular usage uh, especially because I, I can't really imagine a scenario where Michelle is getting usage, but Mostert isn't like they, they both might be um, part of a, a, a pretty, you know, horizontally oriented uh, committee there with, with Edmonds being the only one who's reliable because he gets that passing down work, which uh, again, we might expect there to be a lot of that. So um, that's, that's almost like a by default thing. Cause, cause Gaskin's the only other one who can catch passes and he can do that. I, I actually think Gaskin kind of got a, you know, rough deal last year with, with just uh, how bad that team was and how, how uh, little there was to be done about it. But the problem for him is whatever Gaskin can do, Edmonds can do quite a bit better, and they're quite a bit more invested in Edmonds. So uh, I think it's between Edmonds, Mostert, and Michelle, and I kind of expect both Mostert and Michelle to make the roster. But for what it's worth, the Dolphins can cut either one with basically no uh, – I guess he'd be eating a million with Mostert, so uh, – yeah, they're probably going to keep him for sure. It's Michelle who's maybe a little bit more uncertain, and even with him, they'd be eating eight hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, so I think they're going to both make the team, and it's like, are they going to be fighting? Is it going to be two players fighting over nothing? Uh, I, I think that's possible. Uh, it's it's it would take the Dolphins being a lot better than we currently are projecting for the for the for the other two aside from Edmonds to get much work. So th- this is you know kind of get, getting a little bit granular with it, but you know we we talked a good bit last year about how bad Miami's offensive line is. Do we expect any improvement there? Do we think that, you know, the schematic changes are going to be able to kind of smooth over some of the, some of the otherwise uh, shortcomings when it comes to the trenches there for Miami? Yeah, it can't get worse. It almost certainly will get better. The question <laughs> is uh, how healthy can Teron Armstead stay? Cause he's been hurt a lot with the saints, but when he's been healthy, he's pretty clearly one of the best offensive tackles in the league. He's notably a really good athlete, a memorable athlete at offensive tackle I still have hope personally for Austin Jackson the first rounder from a couple years ago who uh, was horrible at left tackle before he was I think also bad at guard last year I can't remember which guard spot uh, but he's really young right yeah I was gonna say he's one of those cases where he turned maybe 21 during his rookie year or shortly before his rookie year and especially playing offensive tackle it's hard to be any good uh, if you're younger than like 23 or something like that, like the underclassmen offensive tackles almost always struggle and the ones who don't almost always become stars. So he could be merely, uh, you know, like a, especially since he was raw coming out of USC, he could be a case of since he was more tools than, than skills, he might've needed more development time than even most offensive tackles, even aside from uh, the age consideration. So I think he's, he's like a classic case of a potential late bloomer. And the thing is, 
he's just such an insane athlete. Like there can't be five better athletes at uh, offensive line than Austin Jackson in the league. So he can really run. Uh, I didn't realize they were maybe trying out Connor Williams at center. That'll be interesting. They signed him from Dallas where he was, in my opinion, pretty awful. Uh, we'll see if that helps him. He's pretty athletic. There was a day where, where Connor Williams was projected to be like a, a cornerstone left tackle prospect during his time <laughs> in Texas. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty good athlete for how, uh, I mean, he was too small to play tackle, but he was very athletic by, by tackle and guard standards before he was bad at guard for the Cowboys. Maybe playing at center helps him. I don't know. They got that BYU guy from last year. I don't really know anything about him. Uh, anyway, they, they've got quite a bit more pedigree than they did even a year ago, a year or two ago. And going with a very zone heavy scheme, if well coached, well taught, could be the kind of thing that you know makes Austin Jackson go from just terrible to pretty good. And even that would be would mean a lot considering like where they were starting at. So yeah, I, th- I think that that makes sense as far as like the the kind of young, potentially toolsy guys taking a, a step forward uh, this year, and you know hopefully the coaching staff is able to to kind of point, get them pointed in the right direction because you know on on you know the things like the combine performance, the athleticism, like that there is stuff there that that could get interesting for Miami if it clicks, but that that's a that's obviously a pretty huge if. So it is though, worth back, mentioning. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say with the speed at receiver they have, and even like. Even a guy like Gesicki gets so much more difficult to deal with once a player like Tyree Kill is added. It might be a case where it doesn't matter how bad the quarterback is. Like it's just maybe it's just impossible to run with people, this particular collection of people. But uh, if that speed does end up having an effect on the defensive alignment, then as a general rule, the Dolphins might run from pretty favorable setups. Like the defense might have to sort of abandon certain gaps and and maybe. They can take advantage of that, uh, you know, even if Tua isn't especially good, which I don't think we have reason to believe he's very good. No, we, we don't. Uh, we're, we're just going to need defenses to to respect uh, that that speed element that Waddle and, and Hill are bringing to the table. And, you know, last year, I mean, Waddle was kind of used it. You know, obviously it's going to be a different offense, but they, they just kind of had to put him on, on all these like short yardage type of routes like that. That's not going to use the use the speed in, in a way that that truly changes the way that a defense is going to play Miami so that there are a lot of things that they need to to fix it to get in order but you know a lot of the pieces could be in place so uh to to steer this back towards you know actionable advice for fantasy managers out there so Chase Edmonds going um around pick 98 or so over the last month over over on the NFBC and the other guys, you know, much, much lower as far as their ADPs are concerned. Mostert uh, picked 168 and Michelle, which is actually slightly higher than I would have expected. And Michelle, um, not uh, too far behind pick 176. So um, when it comes down to it, like it is, is Edmund is someone that you'd be interested in? What kind of roster build would you have to have going into that part of the draft to where Edmonds is someone that you would consider and then would you take like a, a best ball dart on, on either of those other two veterans sorry did you say Edmonds was a 86 on NFL uh, 90 97 sorry 97 my bad uh, so that's a little bit higher not a lot higher I guess it is a decent amount more than a round higher than what Edmonds is going on an underdog which you'd expect with a half point PPR versus the full point PPR of NFFC um, I think He's, I think Edmonds is definitely a solid, solid target with, with decent upside, maybe understated upside on underdog. And I think the NFFC market is a little bit more on it already. Uh, you don't need to believe 
Edmonds runs for a whole lot of yards in this offense to imagine him, especially in PPR, paying off. Um, Tua, I mean, Tua having inflated numbers could very easily come in the form of not so much Tyreek Hill and Waddle and Gasicki putting up huge numbers. It could be that safeties, you know, two safeties always 15 yards downfield every play and a linebacker, maybe, you know, some, some additional resource attention devoted to the route runners than most offenses see that, you know, that most uh, defenses have to play against in any given offense. It might be a scenario where Edmonds is the guy who defenses basically just let go all the time. And if they do, he could, I think, rate to like, I don't know, 70, 80 catches or something like that, depending on how it plays out. Cause if we think Tua can't throw downfield with these receivers, and he still puts up improved numbers, it might be a player like Edmonds kind of, you know, just outplaying expectations that explains the gap. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just kind of a sidebar, but, but uh, Miami's uh, very di- uh, direct sort of PR campaign to, to make us believe that the Tua actually has an incredible arm uh, has been one of my favorite things this off season. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a sad story in my opinion because it, it seems like he lost something with that injury. Like I sure. don't know why. Like they don't need to pretend that he's the same guy who was at Alabama. He's got a perfectly good reason if he isn't. But man, he does not seem to throw the same ball. And uh, I I don't know. It, I, I don't know if it matters. I mean, it, this really might be a case where the speed, uh, the impossibility of dealing with all of it. And, and again, I want I keep mentioning Gasicki in the middle of this. I think Gasicki has largely been overrated in his whole career. And I, I think there are certain things he's probably just not good at, but being six, six or whatever, and having the athleticism that he does, it might still be really difficult to cover that with like, you know, it, it might be easy to cover it. If you can put a little safety attention toward him, like maybe he just folds when you, when you get a decent safety assignment on him, but maybe without that specific assignment, he all of a sudden gets really difficult to stop. You know, there's, it's just going to be easy to spring leaks all over the place as a defense, even if Tua sucks. So um, I think he, I think he's kind of busted, but he might kind of have a decent year anyway. Yeah, the, a, a high tide raises all ships, as it were. Um, and then, you know, I, I guess the other thing is, how many carries can we realistically expect for Edmonds? You know, he's a guy who never had more than 116, which was his career high. A year ago, although that that uh, important to note was just over 12 games and he was impressive with it, you know, 5.1 yards per carry. And then he was, as we've alluded to and and established, really, really good as a pass catcher. But there's still when you have a guy like Chase Edmonds as your number one, I guess he is dense enough, you know, five, five, nine, two, ten to to take on maybe a heavier workload than he was able to in in Arizona because they just had guys that, that were ahead of him. But you got to figure that they're, they're going to be looking for some more short yardage stuff. And that's where I think Michelle kind of becomes like an annoying factor, I think, for fantasy. Yeah, I don't think you can project a whole lot of rushing production uh, aside from, you know, maybe yards per carry. In that, like in, th- in that sense, Edmonds might rank pretty high. He might average like, I don't know, a, f- a full yard more than the next most active Miami runner. But they probably should keep his workload contained, especially as a runner. I see at the combine he was 5'9", 205, which it's fine for a rotational player, especially if they're not getting him too many direct hits from the defense, from the bigger guys on the defense especially. But that's also, it's like a Michael Carter. Uh, it's probably a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire situation too, where it's like these guys are just too tiny to make them play like you would a 215, 220-pound back, uh, especially some of the more densely built ones. So I think they want to keep him more at like eight, 
at most 12 carries per game, because, especially because they might need to give him, you know, five catches a game too, or something like that. So I think Sony Michelle will be their main short yardage power runner, like you were saying, but I, I just also don't know if there's much to lose there in the first place. Like, I don't know if they're going to run for many touchdowns on this offense. So uh, I think it's more like a Michelle problem than uh, a mo- than a, a Edmonds one. But I still do think Michelle is maybe worth a couple of like last round picks or something like that here and there, just because if Edmonds does get hurt or something, then, you know, Mostert's not picking up everything. I guess, I guess we would expect uh, Gaskin to plug in at that point, but it's not guaranteed. It could be like Michelle gets 30 snaps a game in that scenario. And at that point, it, he would just kind of have to be incredibly bad to not have some utility. No, exactly. So that, that's something to, to bear in mind with you with your late round end game strategy. And then I have a hard time quitting Raheem Mostert. Uh, I, I was overweight on him last year, despite knowing all the red flags. The red he flags got hurt still exist. Yeah, it's only injuries. He, he always gets hurt, though. It's it, that that's the problem. But then again, you know, he's he's going really, you know, very late in drafts. You know, just around ahead of Michelle. You know, in the mid one sixties. So, you know, you're, you're getting pretty far along in there. And I think for, for best ball, that's where Mostert becomes interesting because those weeks where he is healthy, he could have those spike weeks. Yeah, so this one is really tough to figure out, in my opinion. The one thing I, I think is true for sure is that Raheem Mostert only disappointed in fantasy because he got hurt. And I know that it's it's pertinent to note when a player gets hurt, but there's a difference between a player failing, which a lot of people are already revising the narrative with most of they're, they're just uh, in some cases, granted, I've seen this mostly just to uh, kind of like subsidize skepticism of Elijah Mitchell, but I've seen people oh, going boy. like, Oh, you, you idiots who drafted Mostert last year, got what you deserved, like a knee injury. What are you talking about? Like just, you didn't get anything right. The player got hurt and I, I wasn't even invested in Mostert last year, but it's like, you, you don't get something right by a player getting hurt. Uh, unless, um, I don't know, it's like a Michael Thomas kind of thing, I guess, where it's like actually obvious. I don't know. Whatever. Um, Mostert, all actual on-field evidence says can run with the football. It's, it says he's hard to catch when he's running away from people with a football. Maybe he can't do it a whole lot, and that's actually what I would suspect at this point. I mean, he is, for about as much of his life, he was like a track athlete. He, he was mm-hmm. more, even at this point, he was a track athlete longer in his life than he was a running back. Even before he was uh, in the NFL at running back full time, there was still just like he's playing gunner all the time. Uh, Purdue, he was I don't know if he was ever formally moved to running back or if he was always just a receiver who doesn't run routes. Um, he doesn't have the build for it is probably the reason why he didn't get moved there sooner. It's just that he's a he's an amazing runner in an open field, but it's hard to get that open field reliably enough in the NFL and to often get there, you have to, you know, endure physical stress that apparently he just doesn't, he's not, he's not well built for it. So my concern with Mostert is that even if he doesn't get hurt all year, he'll have a very tightly uh, limited workload and one where he might average six yards a carry, but I, I just don't trust him to go over 50 yards in a game unless he's running for a 50 plus yard touchdown, which he could do, but it's like, that's like two or three times in the year won't make a difference. Yeah, no, I mean that, I think that's the best way to sum it up is just like, they're just simply, there's no way really to expect him to be 
carving out, you know, much more than five, six carries in a given game. And, and to your, to your earlier point, uh, Raheem Mostert over a three year sample, 2018 to 2020, 275 carries a 5.7 yards per carry average. Um, so pretty, you know, explosive stuff also was, it was pretty decent as a pe- pass catcher in that sample, obviously 275 carries at someone that or something that a lot of rushers are able to take on within a single season. So of course, caveat there that's three seasons but nonetheless he didn't he never failed when he was healthy right yeah so um he didn't get benched or something that's what some people seem to think he just got benched but it's like no he got he was broken and and uh missed the season that's what happened. yeah it, yeah a gurney is is different than uh the bench um so yeah that bear that in mind when, when it comes to to mostert it i I will, of course, have the morbid curiosity. I'm sure if he's hanging around late in drafts, I'll probably tip. I would put Michelle ahead, but if Mostert somehow stays healthy, then I'll, you know, if I'm wrong about his durability, it'll be easy to imagine how he could have some end round usage. Yeah, there it is. That's, you know, all that needs to be said there. Again, we're we're, we're talking about backfields that are going to be useful to you potentially um, a little bit later on. In drafts, let's get on over to Atlanta. Uh, their their stadium just just a mere fifteen minutes from where I sit as we record uh, right now, and uh, it's an interesting one because Cordell Patterson, I think, was one of the more surprising players in all of fantasy football last season. You yeah. know, maybe maybe one of the more surprising developments period over the last like five years. Um, you know, th- that was something that was completely um, out of nowhere, and all the while it was happening, it was like. Okay, surely the, this is the week that it stops, and it and it just never really happened. He just he kept uh, being super useful like the entire way. Um, but now the Falcons look a lot different. They they don't really have uh, obviously a deep group of pass catchers. They got like two guys that that I think you and I are both are extremely high on, and then just a, a bunch of uh, you know nothing really to write write home about after that. They also have have you know moved on from Matt Ryan. They acquired Marcus Mariota. Desmond Ritter can run a little bit if it ends up being him as well. So, you know, Mike Davis is gone, of, of course. I, I fell for that trap, I think, in, in at least one or two leagues um, a year ago. But when it comes to Cordero Patterson, what's the repeatability likelihood uh, for him? And, and you know, if, if we were in this scenario being CP skeptics, how do you address the, the rest of that backfield between Damian Williams and Tyler Algier? Yeah, so... The Falcons offense didn't have that much to give to its backfield last year, uh, or at least Mike Davis couldn't make anything happen with what he did. Corderell was basically all of the production that happened back there. And part, part of it is probably just that Davis isn't any good, really. But when Davis fail, when a player like Davis fails to that extent with the extended exposure that he had in that offense, and then Corderell in that same offense pretty much does great, then... I'm inclined to believe that, you know, as bad as Davis is, Patterson showed that he's very far away from, you know, whatever level Davis is. And I I say that because I can imagine a lot of people are looking for reasons to call Patterson a fluke. And I think he had a lot of chances to prove it last year and it just never really happened. He did get hurt and I'm sure that's going to be a risk. I mean, it's, it's not the same, but you can imagine something kind of like the Mostert example playing out with Patterson in that, you know, why didn't he play running back earlier? And maybe he's been a receiver all this time and a kick returner specialist all this time because maybe there was some reason he wasn't moved to running back earlier. 
And maybe it has something to do with the way he just endures contact and takes hits and uh, his ability to get through a season, stuff like that. I don't really know, but I'm quicker to buy in on Patterson just because he is actually built like an NFL running back, uh, despite never being one until last year, being like 6'2", 225 or whatever he is. He's he's uh, too high, basically. He's built too high uh, to play running back in a 20-carry role, and they, they've overburdened him in that uh, since last year. So I expect him to get fewer carries, uh, like uh, probably fewer carries per snap, but I expect the targets per snap to at least stay the same. I don't think he's actually going to lose anything, even with Drake London there, even if uh, Kyle Pitts gets better. I even think Brian Edwards is going to be useful to them, but I still am pretty high on Patterson just because Patterson's so cheap. I thought we'd be looking at the question of like in the fifth or sixth round, trying to figure out what we think about Patterson in the ninth in like, I think he falls something like the 10th sometimes maybe. So, and so this is actually, uh, this works out really nicely. Uh, listeners, I may or may not have planned this out, but Ed Chase Edmonds goes three picks ahead of Cordell Patterson right now. So it's a, it's a true toss up. Well, I like them both actually. And uh, there are some other targets in that range. Like I assume, like I know on a underdog, James Cook goes in that range. I would not yes. take James Cook when you can just take Corderell Patterson and even like Melvin Gordon, certainly yep. Chase Edmonds, certainly Rashad Penny. But uh, anyway, in Patterson's case, and, and the reason I'm, I haven't been able to convince myself of, of ranking those guys solidly ahead of any of the others. They're just like one tier to me right now that I actually want to keep going back to. I want to pick running back in the round where these guys are going off the board. I don't want to be picking other positions really because all these running backs look like really good values to me. But Patterson, I think, does stand out for his upside, even if I think he's limited in the carry sense. And I I do. I don't think – do you realize how much work they were giving him as a a red zone ball carrier last year with that crap offensive line? Uh, 33 red zone carries for Corderell Patterson, 153. A fifth of his carries were in the red zone, which is probably the last place you want to be giving him the ball. You want to give him the ball from your own 20. Because he can go that 80 yards. Uh, he's, he's not good at getting low in traffic and getting it, you know, leverage anchor advantage on linebackers at six foot two. So I think you'll see less of him there. But the, the pass catching ability, Arthur Smith's play calling. I mean, I know they were a crap team last year and they're probably going to be not that good this year. But Arthur Smith, in my opinion, is clearly one of the best play callers, one of the best schemers. He's shown it. Like he made a career year happen with Corderell Patterson in a way that none of Corderell Patterson's other offensive coordinators or coaches, going back to Tennessee, had thought of to use him. And the first time he, he wheels it out, it's just a smashing success. So I think Smith uh, needs Patterson in this offense, even if he's like kind of the antithesis of Derrick Henry. He still found a way to make him good, and I think he's going to keep making them better than most coaches would any given collection of players. So long, long time ago, this was like 2018 when Patterson was on the Patriots. Uh, I actually stepped in and did radio with, with list the, the Monday after I think the Patriots played the Packers on, on a Sunday night and, and Patterson uh, for whatever reason, um, a bunch of the Patriots running backs were out or, or whatever that, that day in 2018 and Patterson ran really effectively in, in that game. He had 11 carries for 61 uh, and a touchdown in that one. And I asked Liss, like, has he just been used the run? Like, is, should he just be a supersized running back? And, you know, years later, we weren't wrong. No, you weren't. And, uh, you know, I really do think it was there the whole time. It's just you got to use certain concepts that suit him best. And I think 
last year is just plainly encouraging because so many things can't get worse than they were last year. The, the Atlanta offensive line cannot get worse than it was last year. Uh, there's even the point that Cordell's running could not really be less efficient than it was last year. Like he's going to get a 40 yard carry soon. He didn't have any last year. He had that low rush, relatively low rushing average, but not considering how many red zone carries he was getting and how bad the blocking was. So every peripheral detail I look at with Cordell Patterson says he really did it that good last year. And I, I think physical decline is the only thing that's going to knock him off. I, I think he's such an exceptional athlete. He's a freak athlete to be clear. He's one of the freakiest athletes in the league. I think he's going to be fine for at least another year. I don't know. So um, th- this is this is kind of just a, a bit of a tangent, but I was listening to former co-worker of ours, uh, Derek Van Riper's podcast uh, on The Athletic, the, the Rates and Barrels, and obviously that's a baseball podcast. But they were talking about unconventional – put like we, we put these guys into buckets. Like if you're a shortstop, you should be this size. If you're a catcher, you should be this size. And they, they were talking about O'Neill Cruz, Cruz. And, and they were talking about Alejandro Kirk, who's, you know, 5'8 and like um, – <laughs> 270. We just um, saw Yvonne Rodriguez too. Just absolute unit. Um, but you know, it, it it does kind of bring me back to Corderell kind of being the, the NFL version of that, where he's just just because he doesn't look like what a normal running back looks like, it doesn't mean he can't be effective in in that type of role. Yeah, and I think part of it too is it's like sometimes coaches don't just think as in as simple of terms of what can a running back do. Uh, like it, it, that's it's just kind of a maybe wording it's the different a different way the same thing but like Cordero Patterson probably isn't actually good at conventional running back tasks but he is good at a lot of stuff that other running backs aren't and you could simply kind of just change the way they're used to suit his skills and Arthur Smith I think has shown a, a level of pragmatism like competent pragmatism that's very much memorable even though he's he's not done it with any well he did really good a Titans team. I think he's going to have his day with some really good Atlanta offenses. And I, I even think this year's a little bit understated as a possibility. I think Marcus Mariota could be pretty nice change for that run game. And Matt Ryan's a great passer, better than Mariota, certainly. But this ground game could be pretty tough. Uh, I guess to, to mention uh, quickly, even though I like Cordell Patterson, obviously, the durability risk is real. The limitations as a runner are definite. I think somebody else is going to do something, but I don't think two players are really. So I'm... Okay. I'm thinking somebody gets pinched out of Tyler Algier or Damian Williams. And I happen to think that Damian Williams, if he stays healthy, has certain advantages over Algier, especially as a pass catcher. So I would bet on Damian Williams playing first off the bench rather than Algier, even though I think we both like Algier a decent amount. So does that come down to just uh, Williams being an experienced vet who might just be able to pick up what, you know, what the fuck out of that role? At the very least for passing down reasons, because – I mean, not to say Alger's going to be bad at it. The BYU offense didn't really give him formational looks to prove it either way. But his pass catching returns were not good. And Damian Williams is one of the most natural pass catching running backs in the NFL. So I think the, the concern with Damian Williams is, is he going to get hurt like he often did, even in Miami, uh, even before uh, whatever his latest thing was. I can't even remember what it was. Um, but he is only a couple pounds lighter than Algier. And he's faster than Algier, and he's a proven passing down guy, whereas Algier is unproven at best and could be pretty bad at passing down stuff. So Williams is basically free right now. He's like, you know. He's in that Sony Michelle category where it's like, usually when you take him, you're looking at trash anyway. Of course, you're not going in thinking like, God, I hope I get 
Sony Michelle or Damian Williams in the last round. But when you're there, I think he's worth more thought than he generally gets, if only because uh, I, I guess it's been slipping lately. But Algiers ADP on underdog was I'd see him go in like the 12th round sometimes, which is insane. It, it's a, yeah, it's around there on, on uh, NFC, like 141. Yeah, I mean, just because he's the closest thing they have to Derrick Henry doesn't mean that there's a Derrick Henry role to be had there. There wasn't one last year. You know, Arthur Smith doesn't need Derrick Henry. He he already he just showed us with Corderell Patterson that he yeah. can do things with players that no one else can. So yeah, expecting him to to like long for an archetype of of a two like a two hundred forty pound bruiser, it's kind of ridiculous. But I think that's explaining the Algier optimism because it's just not there by conventional prospect reasoning. Sure. No. At- Absolutely. So do you have Algier interest then at the, at this, not at this price? I'm not really racing for Damien and he's the kind of guy who, even when you're taking him in the last round, you don't want to go over a certain exposure amount because he could easily just go on IR like second week of camp with some crap and get injury settled. Um, You don't want him on a, you know, 40% of your rosters if that happens, even if he is free. So yeah, other than just kind of like rotating him with guys like Sony, Michelle, whoever else you might sometimes think of in the 18th, 20th, whatever it is. Uh, I, I think you can be in, but just, you know, just don't want to be too in. Yeah. 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 Keep, keep your exposure light, but get a little bit, just go, go on, get a little bit. Um, anything else to, to add on Atlanta before we move on to Philly? I hope Jalen Mayfield stops kill, him and Caleb McGarry need to uh, either get it together or be exiled. I think. Does Mayfield, I mean, obviously Mayfield doesn't have the same uh, athleticism as Austin Jackson, but same draft class, if I remember correctly. And you No, know, think- uh, Mayfield was last year. Jackson was two years ago, but Mayfield okay. was very young last year. Yes. Uh, so the problem is, unlike Austin Jackson, Mayfield does not have, he, he had some of the worst athletic testing. Uh, Austin Jackson could do like, uh, I don't know, a lot of different uh, athletic stunts. Uh, Mayfield can only do like, sumo kind of stuff and last year he couldn't even do that yeah i kind of remember uh in mayfield's pre-draft prospects uh or pre-draft process uh just kind of not understanding why exactly he was uh, he was like a good right tackle on michigan's roster and i guess people were like oh well even though he's a crap athlete he'll just be a good at guard therefore but he was also a bad athlete by guard standards problem (laughs) so we'll see i mean he's not he's got a chance but he his play was unacceptable and Caleb McGarry is annoying for a lot of reasons. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Mr. Uh, change the music in the locker room guy. I remember that. Um, and if you want to be like that, you better not suck. And he is terrible. <laughs> exactly. the Bosas, they get to act like crazy jerks. Cause they play like Bosa's, you know, see, see I mean, hundred uh, percent was Jared Allen annoying. I thought he was just cool. He had a he had kind of like a check. He was like the first Gardner Minshew, actually. Yeah, was his bit. And he was in Jackass, so like double. Yeah, points. Minshew's just. If I was Jared Allen, I would be sending a cease and desist years ago. <laughs> Stop this at once. Um, Shave the mustache, or we're gonna pummel you. Yeah, get rid of it, brother. Um, all right, before we move on uh, to our next backfield, got some messages here. Uh, leading us off here, uh, a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we also got a message from our friends over at Reality Sports Online. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go ahead and see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy front office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use promo code ROTOWIRE to get 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy Sports just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Again, use that promo code ROTOWIRE for 10% off, 10% discount there on your team or your league. All right, Mario, let's get on to the city of brotherly love. A lot of expectations there in Philly uh, this year. Obviously, that they, they've added a lot in in the form of its pass catching core. Getting AJ Brown, in my opinion, probably the best receiver in, in football, or right there uh, in that discussion, uh, comes over on, on draft night. You spell him across Devonte Smith. Suddenly, the Eagles have a pretty interesting receiving core. You still got Dallas Goddard there. Maybe Jalen Rager can figure some things out um, here in year three. Not totally holding my breath on that, but again, we'll, we'll see. Maybe he, maybe he's a guy that just needs a change of scenery. Either way, um, so we got intrigued there with Philly, but I, I don't think that you know when you have Jalen Hurts as your quarterback that you can be like an air raid style. So they they are going to have to run it. Hurts is obviously going to take up a decent uh, share of that pie, but what do you do with the rest of this Philadelphia backfield? You know, wh- whether it's Miles Sanders, Kenny G, uh, and so on. Yeah, that's funny. Um... I think uh, this offense is going to be pretty good. I like their offensive coordinator. I, I'm going. I'm choosing to give 
uh, Shane Steichen more credit for the way that offense looked last year than uh, what's his name? Sirianni. Um, so I, I think uh, Steichen did a good job with the Chargers before that, too, is, is the reason I've, I'm kind of uh, thinking he's pretty good. So I think, you know, some teams you worry about both the talent and the coaches kind of compounding a talent deficit by, by just being crappy coaches like most coaches are. But in this case, I, I think um, there's some reason to think that they'll at least be the non-liability example and maybe, you know, even soon an example of, of a well, you know, notably well-run offense. So I was skeptical of Jalen Hurts as a starter, and I, I basically still am, but the way that I thought it could work for Jalen Hurts as a starter is that in a scheme where they don't expose him too much as a passer, basically, or, or normally you would you would say, well, that, that means pass attempt volume, drop back exposure, and that's certainly a part of it, but even if you're throwing the ball pretty consistently with Jalen Hurts, it's not as much exposure. It's not like as much practical exposure for the quarterback when you're making the pass catchers, the three leading route runners, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. So I think uh, you see, you see, you see some uh, theories, I guess in both directions, you know, some people saying the Eagles want to run less or sorry, throw less this year. Some people saying, well, the AJ Brown trade means they want to throw more. I think they want to throw about the same as they did last year. I think they want to throw within reason, something like 30 passes per game. Uh, if only because Hertz is so effective as a runner and you need to cut out his, his rushing usage uh, as a constant, but um, it's, it's just going to, it's going to be a kind of thing where they, they run the same amount of passing as last year, but just get way better results for it. Like there's, there's, um, I think with Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, those guys were both pretty solid efficiency, but like Pascal was bad. Obviously Rager was a drain. Greg Ward has been a drain for like five years now. I can't believe he's still on this team. Uh, Quez Watkins, I guess was technically somewhat above the baseline, but if you watch the way he was used, he was not that much of a real receiver. There was a lot of just kind of like bubble screens where uh, between the Hertz thread and the defense already respecting Devontae Smith, Watkins was just kind of left alone for some easy yards after the catch. Uh, he can be a good wide receiver four or five, I'm sure. Uh, Rager, I think, just needs, I don't know, time. He needs to just find peace or something. He, he needs to find uh, better luck. Uh, he, he's a, he seems like he's just kind of being, he's going to be like a wreck for a while. So I think he's very talented, but I, I don't know if his mind is in the right place to do anything in particular, let alone be, you know, an NFL player, which can't be easy uh, mentally or physically, of course. So I'm not really counting on Rager, but I think you're going to see Watkins do about as efficiently as last year with a much smaller snap count. You're going to see Devontae Smith get an efficiency boost, if only because defenses are going to have to pay more attention to A.J. Brown until further notice. And I think Goddard's going to be kind of closer to the way he was at the end of last year than he was at the beginning. Like, they should just think of that offense as – a three wide kind of base, but one of the receivers is Goddard and only throw the ball like 30 times a game. That's perfect amount of balance right there. So with that balance, you know, what, what do we do with, with Miles Sanders? I mean, like, you know, right. last year, you, that whole thing. Um, so, you know, you look at his numbers from a year ago, career low in, in rushing yardage, but he was you know career high as far as efficiency went, uh, you know, 137 carries, 754 yards, five and a half yards per carry. That is uh, the pass catching, you know, not getting a ton of yardage on, on his catches, uh, 26 to 34 
uh, catches to targets for 158 yards. So, you know, just kind of eh, slightly below average as far as as pass catching work um, was concerned. Uh, The fumbles got cleaned up a little bit, luckily, after, you know, the the four uh, that he had the, the year prior. We expect him to be the lead back here, and I think he's the most conventionally. And I, I know we were just speaking about unconventionals uh, just a, just a few minutes ago, but um, you got to figure that he leads this backfield, and and therein, you know, if if we think that Philadelphia is going to be scoring some touchdowns or you know having an improved offense this year, like being a little bit more explosive on the scoreboard, do we think you know Sanders has some appeal there where, where he's going? He's going pick eighty five, so right in front of Tony Pollard, actually. Uh, right now on NFFC. I definitely prefer Sanders over Pollard and I'm not like off Sanders, but in the range that he tends to go, there's, there's usually some other players that I prefer straight up and they're also going about a round later. And it's pretty much all those guys we were just talking about with uh, the dolphins example with Edmonds leading to, you know, Rashad Penny and uh, whatever else uh, was it Gordon Corderell Patterson, I prefer those guys over Miles Sanders, and they're cheaper, so I'm not getting any Sanders exposure right now. But I think Sanders can run a little bit. Uh, the question is, how much can he get there, and uh, where in the field is it going to happen? Like, is he going to get short yardage carries for 17 games in this offense? I don't really know what reason there is to think he will. And yet, there's no other power runner on this roster. He's the closest thing they have to a power runner at uh, 210 or whatever he is. And patently a speed back, by the way, he is not a power runner. So Jordan Howard picked up that slack last year. They picked him up in the season to pick up that slack. There is no Jordan Howard on the roster right now. I, I don't know where uh, that sort of threat will come from, but it seems like they, if they do what they did last year, they might be waiting for one. They might be eyeing some current free agents or something. I don't know. Uh, but I guess if for some if somehow they go into next year with just uh, Sanders as their only between the tackles runner, he would probably do quite good because he's always been explosive as a runner. It's it's more like the surrounding context can kind of fall apart on him and his playing time specifically is at risk, especially when they fall behind because he's just not a natural pass catcher. He's he's dangerous. With, he's one of those like Ronald Jones kind of guys where it's like he's tough to tackle. He's tough to catch when he has a football, but if you're not handing him the ball, it can get surprisingly difficult. Uh, to get it to him mm. as a pass catcher. So he has no chance of doing that beyond a couple designed screens here and there. He's not going to be a part of their hurry up. He's not going to be a part of their catch up uh, formations because Kenneth Gainwell is really good at that. He's all, we can already say Kenneth Gainwell is one of the best pass catching threats in the entire league. We, we just know that we knew that coming out of Memphis. We knew that. And then Boston Scott's pretty good himself, certainly a lot better than Sanders. So Sanders has to make it all happen as a runner, but I'm worried about them at some point saying, oh, well, we need a, we need a, you know, a guy who just runs off the center and and guard, some guy who just runs halfback dives. And we want to make Sanders be the outside guy. And maybe they just, maybe they re-sign Jordan Howard. He's a free agent, I think. I don't know what happens exactly. Speaking of, speaking of this, and, you know, it's interesting that that we bring up this, um, you know, this particular t- type of running back. Uh, well, first off, uh, Julia J wants to know uh, Sanders or Connor. I think Connor pretty safely, you know, several rounds ahead. Um, you know, basically yeah, like take James. Yeah, take He's Connor. He's concerned, but what can you do? Sanders right. is and, Yeah, name me a running back that, that isn't, um, basically. Yeah. And then uh, Johannes wants to know, is Kennedy Brooks worth a flyer? Now, that's 
interesting to me because <laughs> Kennedy Brooks was pretty good. Uh, am I allowed to say the the A word on on, on a he was a BA at, at Oklahoma? I thought you know I, I don't think that he ever really got quite. I didn't think that Lincoln Riley used him enough, and he still had three 1,000-yard seasons during his time at Oklahoma. Like, he was good. He was good he's straight up. He's one of up. those guys – oh, sorry. I was just going to say, he's one of those guys where the production is good. You're right. And didn't he have something to do with uh, Trey Sermon transferring or something? Or is that – am I getting the order wrong there? Um, oh, he transferred to Ohio State from Oklahoma, didn't he? Um, yes. Anyway, uh, Brooks was – pretty constantly productive at Oklahoma, like you said, but then he had the really bad athletic testing. Yeah. Uh, basically he's, he's both, I guess he's not properly small, but he's not big either. He's a little lighter than Sanders, uh, a lot less athletic than Sanders, but um, he's probably a lot better at kind of the tedious running back tasks. Like Kennedy has, uh, Kenny Brooks has to be one of those guys who bridges the talent gap uh, with just, you know, football acumen, even if he doesn't have all that much raw athletic talent to work with. So when we're trying to figure out who the by default between the tackle guy is for the Eagles, if it's not going to be Jordan Howard and if or if some somebody like Isaiah Crowell doesn't come back or something, then it could be Kennedy who does that. And especially if Sanders gets nicked up, he could just he could be the even if he's not a, a predictably productive player himself this year Brooks could be the answer to the question of what went wrong for Sanders this year because if Sanders misses a game they might find that Brooks can do pretty much everything he can yeah I mean Brooks like like you said the the athletic testing is uh you know it's it's concerning on the worst end and and something that you you, just, you simply can't ignore when, when you're talking about him but the the College production. He did play with Jalen Hurts, by the way, uh, at Oklahoma 2019. Oh, right. um, but so, you know, the mesh w- would certainly work. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, Brooks is someone to, you know, when when you're paying attention to training camp reports and obviously like, you know, you take those with, with a big old, you know, salt tab, essentially. But they, if they're if the Eagles reporters are saying that Kennedy Brooks is looking good, I'm not going to be completely surprised. No, and he is going to be one of those guys who, no matter how it goes, it's going to be probably difficult to cut. He's one of those guys that coaches aren't going to really look for a reason to get rid of. Yeah, I I think so. I think that he he you know should make back end of the roster, maybe, maybe practice squad, but you know so, something to keep an eye on there potentially. Uh, Julia also wants to know uh, Fournette or or Miles Sanders. I think it, it's still. Fournette as well. So we're uh, Sanders and Connor are both really good this year at setting up really, uh, you know, big workloads. Yeah. Sa- Sanders is, is what to you like a, like a low end RB two decent flex option. I would, I would actually feel uncomfortable with him as my running back too. I, I prefer someone like Damian Harris uh, who goes in like the nineties in the underdog. So Sanders is pretty good, but Jalen Hurts takes up a lot of the rushing, and we still have to worry about some other Jordan Howard showing up again and taking, you know, the eight, uh, the eight goal line carries that they have in the final, you know, six games or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Um, we're getting a, a request uh, from from Johannes to to talk about ETN for a second. We, we're a little pinched on time, but uh, any I love new thoughts? Yeah, he's he's. he's re- he would have gone into the combine ranked alongside Jonathan Taylor for me. Jonathan Taylor in the combine took the lead with his insane workout, whereas ETNs was merely very good. 
But I think ETN will very soon be considered a top five NFL running back behind only the likes of Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, he's he's going to be awesome. Uh, we're, we're starting to see, you know, the the min pick on, on him start to creep up, like first pick of the third round t- type uh, of guy. So I, I don't know if, if his ADP settles there, but, you know, I think you're you're very happy with, with getting him uh, in the third round. And, and I think that, you know, he could be someone that, that you know, ends up, essentially being a league winner, especially if the Jaguars end up having a pulse this year, which I am betting on because it, you know, we, we've talked about things that can't get worse. The, the Jaguars certainly uh, qualify. Trevor's disaster that. tape is still awesome. He's going to yeah, do right. it, man. Yeah. So let's, yeah, Trevor's so a let's, winner. He, pure and simple. Dating back to his days at Cartersville High School, also here in Georgia. Um, anywho, let's, uh, let's round things out. Uh, Saquon Barkley, been in the news. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Uh, so that we got this year's batch of shirtless pictures, of course, and uh, unsurprisingly, uh, just Wait, was there was the, there were shirtless pictures. Is that seriously what happened? Uh, I think uh, there were. Uh, okay. I did, did, did see them from from uh, se- several people posting them on on the old timeline, uh, and now his min pick, and we we know who did it. Uh, third, third in an nice. NFFC draft. It, it sure was. Um. Yeah, I think uh, that's certainly paying just about the highest price possible, but it is one of those things that I, I don't know how you could rule it out working. I mean, especially we're, we're two or three years removed from Barkley always going first and second overall anyway. So yeah. um, we can either call ourselves morons for that, or we can say, well, maybe if he stays healthy, he'll get back there this year. And I, I think Dable's the real deal. Uh, I think their offensive line stands to improve uh I don't know what I don't know what is going to happen at receiver exactly in that offense either. So it's like if I'm expecting them to improve and I can't I can't convince myself it's the guy with the Achilles tear, Shepard, Tony. I don't even think I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised if he's on the team in like October. Yeah. Uh, Wandale Robinson's a slot guy, but we're not going to expect him to do more than like 700 yards as a rookie as a slot specialist. Do you think they use him in the run game at all? Uh, probably. I just don't think it'll be more than like you know yeah i mean it'd be gadget stuff. or something like that something like but, that you know, enough yeah. for him he'll make he'll make you know defenses worry a little bit about it uh but yeah i think uh that offense has to improve and there's just a lot of reasons a, a lot of ways to imagine barkley being the primary uh like engine of that especially compared to the returns he's gotten the past couple of years you look at the crap giants offenses it's if it's all going to get a lot better, then we either need to move up Kenny Galladay like five rounds or we need to assume Barkley should never fall out of the top, I don't know, 15 or something. So I, I guess I, what I wanted to hear for, from you and, and your perspective, uh, you know, when it comes to Brian Dable, you know, you, you could maybe point to the Buffalo offenses and be like, well, they never, you know, had great rushing production uh, from, the, from their running backs in it. But they also never had anyone in the same real stratosphere talent wise. Um, as Saquon Barkley, and when you look at the context, like you mentioned, of the, of the this receiving or this pass catching group not being all that great, you have Daniel Jones um, at quarterback. May, maybe Dable's able to to get a little bit more out of him. But you know, how adaptable do you think that that Dable is? At, at, you know, from what you've seen to where you think that he can kind of reshape his offensive philosophy to to get the most out of this offense, and and you know, ultimately make Saquon Barkley who ends up as an RB one this year. Yeah, it's always hard to know. I mean, maybe there's no way, probably. But Dable, I think, will be good, basically because I think he did a really good job with the Bills. And uh, I think 
as much as I was talking about Arthur Smith before, it's kind of like the, the first example I think of when I think of the most pragmatically skilled offensive schemer is in the league. Uh, there might be reason to think Dable could be one of those too. I, I think everything about the way they approach Josh Allen and how they tried to enable him and, and set him up for success in Buffalo was very simply just looking at everything he's good at and trying to amplify that and trying to minimize his exposure with anything that he's you know less good at. And I think that that means in this case, uh, not even uh, you said, of course, the good point, they never had a Saquon with Buffalo, but I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be like, he gets the, to the giants and it's like, okay, if I'm trying to move the ball, I'm coming to the conclusion pretty quickly that it's Saquon Barkley that I need to start amplifying and start minimizing the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the bad aspects of, because this is, maybe we can't get to the finish line, but if we can, if we do, it's gotta be Barkley who does it. Daniel Jones can improve and still not nearly be enough. They don't have enough ammo for pass catchers either. So Barkley has to pick up that slack. And with that reality, I, I just think Dable necessarily will get to work on trying to bring about the biggest numbers possible for Barkley. And maybe he fails in that, but that's the goal, I think. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're going to see heavy dose as much as, as Barkley can, can really handle, because I, I still believe even if he has some of his shortcomings in the, in the durability issues as well, you know, that offensive line gets better. And then, you know, if, if Saquon has space, he's about as dangerous as it gets. So Julia has a, a good follow-up question here, Swift, Barkley, or Mixon. For me, it's between Mixon and Barkley, and I'm I'm okay with taking Mixon a couple times here and there. But I, if I have only one bullet, I'm probably going with Barkley there, just because uh, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just a believer in Dable, and and uh, I think Barkley, uh, as much as he was overrated a couple of years ago, I think he's definitely better than Mixon, who to me is kind of just average. Okay, and then you know, just, just kind of rounding it out, where do you see this going with with Barkley moving forward? Because I feel like you know, I'd seen it in recent weeks where there's some some sense in some corners of Twitter that, you know, like Barkley, as you know, that that early third round guy, late second guy is, you know, the, the one that you want to be just buy, you know buying in bulk, that, that type of thing. Do we start to see that, you know, discount basically evaporate? And how high do you do we think his ADP climbs? I mean, obviously, yeah, I, I think that three is the, it's going to be an exception. We'll see it in NFFC cool, first. However high it's going to get, those guys are the, they're going to be the ones driving it up. I bet, and it's because I think again, there's good reason for it. Uh, but yeah, that's the reason I was asking about uh, the shirtless photos because you're like, yeah, his ADP is going up, and I just assumed it was because, like you said, there's there's been people on Twitter talking about uh, you know big voices in the industry talking about how Saquon Barkley's probably going too late. Usually when enough of that happens, the price will go up. And um, I assumed it was for that reason, but you, you pointed out it's, it's actually these, uh, the, the biceps or whatever else uh, these photos contain. So we might need to worry about a second inflation in his price. Uh, if it wasn't, if it was the shirtless pictures that caused it rather than the commentary, then we might not have baked in the commentary yet. No one ever drafted AJ Dillon until they saw his quads. Especially, yeah, no one even knew who he was, especially not us. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not us. Um, but yeah, th- this, it should be pretty wacky Yeah, Bar- Barkley, you know, kind of re-enters the conversation. I, I like, I remember like, uh, cockily laughing at the, at the Rotowire Vegas draft last year. Like, Oh, y'all let me get Bar- Barkley in the second round. Like, all right, this is a wrap already. And obviously that, that didn't quite pan out, uh, as 
I had hoped, but if you were as good at this uh, producer thing as Alan, you could have just made the entire screen uh, get plastered with a stretched too wide and horrifically pixelated picture of uh, Jason Garrett with a big grin just now. That would have been perfect. <laughs> I, I was some thinking of those, more. I'm going to terrify those of you who, for some reason, are actually watching the feed. <laughs> I was thinking more like a like a Nickelodeon like slime coming down on me. It's like. This guy got oh, yeah. one Barkley in the second round. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, getting getting the slime. I'm blaming Garrett. Yeah, and, and uh, Joe Judge. It's a good thing to do. But yeah, but I mean that's that's a clown. Joe problem. Judge yeah. exit is going to make them so much better, even if Dable sucks. Yes, the like the, a real true dead cat bounce uh, going on there uh, for the Giants. That's going to do it for us here on this show. Big thanks to, uh, to our listeners. Big thanks to the people who watch, tune into the live stream, comment, uh, keep the conversation going. That's always a lot of fun. We really appreciate all of you. Also, shout out to our sponsors, Blue Wire and Reality Sports Online. That's going to do it for us here on the Road Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.